Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. PM Tampa Bay. I'm Ryan Gorman. And joining me now for another policy comparison deep dive, I have Dr. Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of the best-selling book, The World. A brief introduction. He's here to compare the Trump-Biden foreign policy agendas. Dr. Haas, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. First of all, let me start with your take on what you think the most significant foreign policy challenges are. I know the list is long, but if you were to pick a top three. Well, my top of the list will surprise you, Ryan, I think, which is uh, the pandemic. Until we get this pandemic under control here at home, uh, we're not going to have the bandwidth to, to cope successfully with the world. The American people will not be supportive. The economic consequences, the human consequences, plus we won't be setting an example that uh, the rest of the world will, will respect. So I'd say that's actually number one. Beyond that, I'd say you know, there's a few obvious things. One is how to deal with China. Uh, in some ways, the, the Soviet Union was the principal challenge, obviously, during the four decades of the Cold War. I think China has uh, emerged as the principal strategic challenge, uh, both economically and politically, of this era. And then I'd probably put climate change and other global issues. That We're living in an age where, like it or not, globalization has produced all these challenges to our well-being. And in every instance, in every example I can think of, there's a gap between the scale of the challenge and the, the response that so far has been generated. All right, now for a recap of the Trump presidency up to this point, and there's a lot to unpack. What do you think were some of the more notable successes this administration has had over the past few years? Well, I'd say the foreign policy successes have been a few. Uh, the fact that you've got a, a new trade agreement uh, supported by Congress involving the United States, Mexico, and Canada was uh, significant. The more realistic policy towards China, uh, calling out China about some of its uh, practices at home and abroad, politically and, and economically. The normalization of ties between several Arab countries, the UAE and Bahrain and, and Israel providing uh, lethal arms to Ukraine, uh, which, as everybody knows, uh, years ago was invaded by, uh, by, by Russia. I think some improvement in uh, U.S. ties with India in part uh, motivated or generated by mutual concern over China. I would list these as probably the, the principal uh, areas of success. Some might add some progress against terrorism in the Middle East. And then what would be the main areas where you think the president has fallen short? Unfortunately, my list of that is, is a bit longer. Uh, North Korea, for all the talk of uh, diplomacy, North Korea today has far more nuclear weapons and more and better missiles than it had uh, years ago. Uh, Iran has begun to move out of the limits that were placed on it in the 2015 uh, nuclear uh, accord. The gap between the global issues and responses is even greater, beginning with uh, climate change. I've already mentioned the response here to to COVID-19. 
I would say the, the state of allied relations uh, and allies are our principal partners in the world is, is worse than it has been really at any time since the end of World War uh, World War II. And the fact that the United States has withdrawn from so many uh, treaties and agreements. And I believe that as a result, we, we've lost a lot of uh, we've lost a lot of influence, whether it's uh, over the World Health Organization or over the Iran uh uh, agreement and again, or over climate change. Again, it's not that these agreements were perfect. They were not. They are imperfect. But that's not an argument for leaving. It seems to me that's an argument for, for staying and trying to reform them. I'm joined by Dr. Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of the best-selling book, The World, A Brief Introduction. We're comparing the Trump-Biden foreign policy agendas. Putting aside what you think the priorities should be, if the president were to win re-election, what do you think he's likely to focus on? President wins re-election. Uh, in my experience, people who get re-elected rarely change. There's more sense that they've been vindicated, that they've got a mandate. So I think you'll see more of the same. And I think you'll see the United States distancing itself from any uh, regional and global agreements. I think the uh, United States will act on its own in many cases, uh, essentially choosing unilateralism over multilateralism. Attacks on allies will probably continue. I think you'll also see U.S. military withdrawals, from not just from the Middle East and Afghanistan, but possibly also from Europe and from, from, from Asia. So I, I think essentially we'll see what, we, what, we, what we've seen over the last four years, but uh, a doubling down on it. As you know well, the president's relationship with NATO has been a bit complicated, to put it mildly, over the course of the first couple of years of his administration. If he's reelected, do you see him escalating things to the point where he might look to pull us out of NATO, to leave NATO? I don't know if we technically leave it, but what I think we do is dramatically reduce our military involvement in it, and I fear that. We've already announced a first reduction in forces out of Germany. And I think what would happen is uh, a combination of weakening the military presence in Europe, reducing it, and new questions about America's willingness to go to bat for uh, European countries and continued cozying up to Mr. Putin in Russia. And all of this would create, I believe, a a crisis of confidence in NATO. So the agreement might exist. The treaty would uh, and the alliance would continue to exist, but I think it would become something of a shell. The Middle East peace agreements that we've seen over the past couple of months, do you find those to be in part a result of how the Obama administration positioned itself in regards to Iran? Did that dynamic help the Trump administration strike these deals? The short answer is no. I think the agreement came about in part because, uh, as you suggest, a shared concern about uh, Iran. But also in the case of the United Arab Emirates, a desire for advanced military hardware. In this case, the F-35 fighter jets had a big uh, hand in it. So I think it had to do with basically those kinds of incentives and a shared strategic concern. And in general, a desire uh, to normalize relations with Israel, particularly uh, economically, and not to give the Palestinians a veto over, over Arab options. I'm joined by Dr. Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of the best-selling book, The World, A Brief Introduction. We're comparing the Trump-Biden foreign policy agendas. And let's switch over to Joe Biden. And when it comes to foreign policy and the former vice president, I'm always reminded of this line from former Defense Secretary Robert Gates that, that Joe Biden has been wrong 
on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Not exactly a ringing endorsement from a well-respected foreign policy mind. What are your thoughts on that comment? And then just more broadly, Joe Biden's foreign policy legacy up to this point. Well, let me just sort of say, even though Bob Gates is one of my closest friends, uh, that's uh, not a not a remark I would endorse. I don't believe uh, he stands by it anymore either. I believe he's he's admitted that it was an overstatement. Uh, Joe Biden you know, was right about certain things. Uh, for example, he in the, the previous administration he was the one who advocated uh, the United States extending uh, military support to Ukraine. It was Barack Obama who who uh, opposed it. I think Vice President Biden has wanted to reduce the American role in Afghanistan. He has not eliminated it like this president, but but uh, reduce it. On some other areas, I think he you know, he, he he cast votes that that I, I think were were, were you know were, were wrong. But but none of us has I think a perfect track record. I think more broadly that he is a believer in American involvement in the world. He is a believer in American alliances. He sees our allies as strategic partners and giving us all sorts of uh, leverage. And I think he would essentially rejoin uh, a lot of the agreements and institutions that this administration has left. So in that sense, he's much more of a traditional internationalist. And some people would say that's a basis for criticism. I would say, well, over the last 75 years, I think American internationalism has served this country extraordinarily well. I'm not saying we didn't make big mistakes in Vietnam and Iraq and elsewhere, but all things being equal, I would challenge anyone to suggest another period of history where we or any country has done better over a period of 75 years. Some immediate decisions a Biden administration will be faced with will be how to handle the Iran nuclear deal and how to deal with Mm -hmm. China from their handling of the coronavirus outbreak to trade to recent aggressive moves with Hong Kong. How do you see a Biden presidency handling some of those issues? Probably the first issue they'd have to handle is what to do about a soon-to-expire nuclear arms control agreement with Russia. And there I would hope that whoever's the next president will simply extend it uh, and buy some time. I think with China, the Biden administration would be just as tough or critical as the Trump administration, in some ways even tougher, probably putting slightly less emphasis on the level of American exports to China, more concern on human rights, more concern potentially on uh, Chinese strategic Uh, adventurism. Uh, But I think essentially there's a growing consensus in the United States that we've got to push back against China uh, over its behavior at home and abroad uh, in a way, hopefully, that doesn't preclude cooperation where we might be able to agree. I think on North Korea, you'd probably see uh, an embrace of, uh, once again, working with China to try to rein in North Korea. I think you'd probably see people people return more to a, a more traditional way of curbing North Korea's uh, nuclear and missile capabilities through arms control negotiations rather than through personal diplomacy and talk of uh, quote-unquote denuclearization. I think you have a similar approach to trying to stop uh, Iran's nuclear uh, program. Again, everyone, I think, uh, Trump and Biden alike, agree that Iran should never get nuclear weapons. The real question is, how do we, how do we go about that? Uh, so, you know, I, again, I think the, the biggest difference, though, would be or more than anything, would be a working with allies and a working with others, essentially making multilateralism the center of American foreign policy rather than unilateralism. Do you see an opening for Joe Biden if he were to win this election to build on some of the Middle East peace agreements that we've seen 
uh, get reached during the Trump presidency, or could that get complicated because of how he'll likely go about handling the Iran nuclear deal? It's an interesting question. Uh, I think for its own reasons, at some point, a country like Saudi Arabia might be interested in um, normalizing relations with Israel. They've got a more complicated set of calculations than the UAE or Bahrain. But I think that's uh, a possibility. I think no matter who's the next president, the question of promoting uh, some type of progress between Israel and the Palestinians remains. What, what Mr. Trump did, even though I welcomed it, has nothing to do with the Palestinians. And that question still sits out there. And I would simply say it's still in Israel's interest, I would argue, to bring about a Palestinian state, not because it's a favor to Palestinians, but it's a favor to itself. If you want Israel to remain a Jewish and democratic country, the only way I know to achieve that is by separating from the, the Palestinians and having them have a state of their uh, own. So I think that's the, the fundamental remaining question uh, in, the, in that narrow area, and that still, as I said, remains. But you've got any number, number of other problems in the Middle East, including Iran, including Syria, including Yemen, including Libya. This still is the most turbulent, uh, uh, most messy, to use an inelegant word, part of the world. So whoever's the next president is going to have to deal with that, with its terrorism, and with its potential for proliferation. I'm joined by Dr. Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of the best-selling book, The World, A Brief Introduction. Taking a step back now and, and kind of putting the comparisons between the Trump and Biden foreign policy agendas aside, there's always a lot of focus, of course, on Europe, our allies, and then on what's happening in the Middle East and, and Asia. Are we missing any big issues bubbling up in places like Africa or South and Central America? Yeah, that's a good question. In Africa, there's no emerging issue in the sense of a crisis. What there is is the gradual emergence of a massive population boom. You're going to have more than a billion additional people in Africa over the next couple of decades. It's how we build relationships uh, with them. Also, Africa is going to be pressured not just by population but by climate change. Uh, less, uh, will be less land available for more people, less water available. How is all that dealt with? I think both in Africa and in Latin America, you've got many weak governments, some cases corrupt, in many cases just flat out weak, and they can't do what governments are meant to do. They can't provide security. They can't deal with uh, drug cartels or criminal organizations or terrorists. And I think in both parts of the world, there's a real uh, need for the United States and others to build up the capacity of these governments so they can, again, uh, do what governments have to uh, do, which is essentially maintain order within their within their borders. That's what's so interesting about Latin America and Africa. I'm not worried there about uh, traditional wars between countries. I'm much more worried about the collapse of countries and their inability to fulfill their obligations to their own people. If we don't take an active role in working with countries on those two continents, do you see China stepping in? I think in, in some instances they already have attempted to in Africa. Do you see them trying to step in and take that role upon themselves? Up to a point. You're right. The Chinese have been doing more. Their so-called Belt and Road Initiative, they've been extending loans. In some cases, in exchange, they get access to ports and uh, other facilities. So yes, I think China's interested in increasing its reach, increasing its access to local uh, minerals. And essentially, we have got, I think there's an argument for the United States getting, getting on the field and competing, not to replicate what China's doing, 
but there are things we can offer with investment, with, with trade, with foreign aid, giving, pe- giving young people access to America's uh, great universities. There's ways that we can compete with China, but I think we have to become more active on the ground and, and more open in terms of who we allow uh, into this country. And that really all leads me to my final question, which is, can you explain why foreign policy is so important when it comes to picking a president? And just as an issue in general, I always harp on this. It's an area where the president has a lot of power. And and even mm-hmm. if we want to focus on domestic issues, which I totally understand, world events have a way of taking over the agenda. 9-11, the Iraq War, this pandemic, all have had a monumental impact on what's happened here at home. Well, you're 100% right. And I think you've answered your own question as, as well or better <laughs> as I could, All right. Bottom line is the world matters, whether it's a pandemic that begins in China or 9-11 where terrorists who are trained in Afghanistan or fires in California caused by uh, climate change. In a negative way, the world matters, but also in a positive way. Uh, you know, millions and millions of American jobs depend upon, upon exports. So... You know, what we've learned is uh, we, can, we can run, but we can't hide. Uh, the world will find us for better or for worse. So we've got to be prepared for its challenges. We, we ought to take advantage of the, of the opportunities. But you're right. Uh, a lot of Americans aren't focused on that. They're fo- focused, I understand, on the day by day to day. We also don't teach these issues in our schools. Or if we teach them, we don't require that students take them in order to graduate. We don't really cover it uh, in much of the news. So a lot of Americans don't see the connection between what goes on in the world and their lives and what the connections between American foreign policy and what goes on in the world, or if they see the connections, it's only when things go really, really, really badly. And here we are, we're electing the next president, not the mayor of Pensacola. And so this individual is going to have tremendous latitude, tremendous leeway, tremendous power to affect the world for better and for worse. And it actually troubles me that you'd hardly know that from having watched the debates or the town halls. So that's, but that's, that's where we are. But I think essentially whoever is elected, what he does and doesn't do will have tremendous uh, impact uh, on all of us. Nice hope in future elections, these issues get, get more coverage and more and more visibility. Dr. Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of the best-selling book, The World, A Brief Introduction. Dr. Haas, great to have that conversation with you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and stay safe and well. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.